0: Hello, I am C-3PO, and I believe the Storyteller is ready, so let us begin. Mystery Alt-Mortis! Sent to discover the origin of a mysterious distress call, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Anakin Skywalker, and his Padawan Ahsoka Tano are stranded on a distant planet. There, they discover three beings more powerful with the Force than any Jedi have seen before. The father keeps a fragile balance between his daughter, who allies with the light side, and the son, who drifts ever closer to the dark. With his strength failing, the father asks Anakin to stay and take his place, preserving the balance between light and dark. But after passing a perilous test, Skywalker refuses. Now we find our heroes about to depart for their journey home, or so they think.
1: On the way back from Mortis, Anakin awakes from this wicked nightmare wherein the brother, who he's just left on Mortis, is in fact still taunting him about staying there to help dismantle like traditional force constructs like Jedi and the Sith. But he's doing it with this very menacing, threatening tone, and so Anakin wants no part of that. Uh, Shortly after he wakes up, it's revealed that in fact the brother is indeed a stowaway on their ship, and he very swiftly kidnaps Ahsoka, escapes through a hatch, and this forces Anakin and Obi-Wan to turn the ship around and go back to Mortis to rescue her.
0: Yes, we get a classic Star Wars chase uh, in which they are going through these kind of spires up from the ground. Uh, You have the the sun in his gargoyle form holding Ahsoka and then Obi-Wan and Anakin in the ship. They ultimately get to this uh, spire or tower, per se, with a big green light on it. Uh, and Anakin has something up his sleeve, but Obi-Wan doesn't realize that and ultimately jerks the gear shift to crash them uh, to ensure that they don't crash directly into it. Uh, ultimately, that gets them crash landed there. And then we cut to Ahsoka, where she has been put into a uh, kind of a prison cell uh, with this weird little creature by the sun. Uh, however, this creature is kind of taunting her and then bites her. And then she turns a little bit odd. Uh, we then cut to the, the son talking to the father and uh, the daughter. Uh, and he's kind of uh, beating, the, beating the crap out of the father a little bit and pushing him around.
1: That's right. So I think it's Anakin who has the idea to go confront the father about what the brother has done. Like, we don't know what we're going to do to get my Padawan back. Let's go see the father. He seems to be the ringleader around here. But meanwhile, the brother has also gone back, I guess, to like seize the power of his father And uh, his evil boils over, and he attempts to kill the father. Uh, He doesn't exactly get the job done. But what he does accomplish is uh, sort of hypnotizing Ahsoka into this state of obedience, where she now, too, is like a minion for his cause, and she's trying to... uh, convince Anakin again you got to join so that we can be here and blah 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 and uh, she confronts Anakin and they briefly have uh, a bit of a duel he can very easily see of course that that she's not in her right head
0: yes and so while they're kind of having this standoff in which Anakin has to fight Ahsoka, Ahsoka wanting to kill him, him wanting to keep her alive because he knows that it's not really her. Uh, Obi-Wan is off with the daughter getting her assistance and trying to convince her that the son truly needs to be stopped. Uh, she takes him to the Altar of Mortis, where there is this kind of really cool passageway of rock elevators. Uh, to a place where a dagger is shown and forms for Obi-Wan. Uh, they take this to the son's location in which Anakin uh, is dueling uh, Ahsoka and in which uh, the daughter is there to confront the son. Uh, Obi-Wan goes down to see what Anakin and Ahsoka are up to. And uh, this is after the daughter and the son decide they're going to have uh Essentially uh, a true and awesome force off uh, against one another uh, until the father comes to to put them to, to shame and tosses them out the window
1: It essentially ends in a draw and so um, I don't exactly remember what Ahsoka has achieved for the brother, but he tells her you're no good to me now And he releases her and- from her from her trance, but in doing so he kind of drains all the life from her and she passes out Um, She she gets the dagger from Obi-Wan. Right, okay. And So then he has the dagger, the brother does, and he's gonna use this dagger to uh, properly assassinate the father. Uh, In doing that, the sister dives in front of the attack and she is in fact slain. Uh, And this, uh, I guess, saps the power of the brother and he uh, runs away in defeat. And then using the last bit of life within the daughter, the father transfers that light into Ahsoka, and so she's good again. And the episode ends with the heroes having to go chase after the brother, because he's about to reign major destruction on the galaxy, I guess. Yeah.
0: And uh so from there the the force life bond has been transferred over, um, which is another really cool thing to to see that as an introduction point. Trying to the, the you see it being really highlighted, of course, with Mando and then and in prior to in preceding the rise of Skywalker. I'm not getting my words out well today, but this is one of those real moments of uh the the life transfer, not just force healing, because you'll see some maybe force healing things elsewhere, but like that transfer of essence.
1: Well do we really see that in Mando or like you said Rise of Skywalker? Like it's yes, that's the big one in
0: which you, you see it. But also you see force healing uh done in Mando. And that's where it's it's real canonical debut and force healing and life Transfer are so intertwined because they essentially cause the same. They're they're one in, in the same, uh, or at least they're a part of the same textbook. I would assume, yeah, uh, or at least Jedi sacred Jedi text.
1: I don't know if I'm just tired today or I, I don't have my good analysis brain on today, but I honestly, stupidly, did not make the connection that what they did with the daughter's last bit of life for Ahsoka to live is essentially the same as what. Uh, Ben Solo does to revive Rey at the end of Rise of Skywalker. I don't know why that didn't jump out at me as like this incredible like circle completing thing, this action of the force that is otherwise sometimes protested by people who don't know these little canonical uh, details. Um, But yeah, now that I see it uh, obviously that's what it is. The only suspicion I have as to why that wasn't clear to me is that all that takes place on, on Mortis in terms of The Force, to me, almost doesn't feel like The Force because it's so removed. And so the son and the daughter and the father, they don't even feel like they're doing Force to me. They just feel like this weird magic family we've stumbled upon. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, that's certainly a fair mindset to have. Uh, And that's really what they are. They are um, the first first family of The Force, almost, you could say. Uh, And so they're not like traditional Jedi or Sith, they go beyond that. They are they're gods, yeah. And uh, that is something that is in when you see a fight sequence, isn't necessarily going to be as enthralling, in my opinion. But that's what I think they do so well in this overall arc. Because uh, yes, there are a the couple fight sequences here, but you see the use of this mystical dagger, and then you also see the fact in the pr- the previous episode. Uh, Anakin being able to control them and balance each of them out with his strong connection to the force and the fact that because they're so of the force that they can be manipulated the same way that the force can be in a different way that uh, a Jedi or Sith manipulates the force in the sense that they can be manipulated as easily as a Jedi or Sith can manipulate the force in that same kind of way. But they're also manipulative in the same way the force can manipulate them. So there are these just little um, paradoxes of characters.
1: So having not completed this arc yet, I don't really know the full power or capacity or, or just like general purpose of the Mortis dagger, but it would appear that it, you know, pun intended, it, it gives you the edge, because previous to to it being used to actually like end someone's life in this episode, um, the brother and the sister face off, and from my point of view, they should be uh, the definition of evenly matched, that they appear to be like uh, mm. spiritual yin and yang, neither one of them should be able to uh, defeat the other because they're like biologically the same except between the light and the dark unless star wars wanted to here definitively decide whether the dark side or the light side was indeed stronger uh and i guess we don't do that but the the mortis dagger is able to give a person a little bit more power than they otherwise had um it's i, I think it's a little bit more about
0: it being uh like a failsafe it's a kill switch more than it is about enhancing the power of the wielder, I would say. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I the, the dagger itself has, has power. I see it. it it's, and, and this is, uh, kind of crossing over into a totally different pop culture area, but one that has of course, biblical roots and myth- mythological roots more more accurately. Uh, but I watch Lucifer as well. Mm-hmm. And in the TV show, Lucifer, there is uh one of of course all of the other angels because lucifer is samael the fallen angel and uh all of his other angel brothers and sisters uh there's azrael who is the the angel of death uh, and azrael has a blade azrael has the has a dagger essentially uh a, a snuffer odor the the grim reapers uh, scythe but more tr- in mythological azrael's blade being uh, a blade that can kill someone who's also a Celestial, someone who is beyond mortal, um, someone who's immortal, who can kill a god. This this blade has that mythological mythological kind of purpose uh, and biblical purpose. And so it's, it's a repurpose to a degree of that exact same concept uh, and also being this uh, also a, a cool MacGuffin at the same time.
1: <laughs> it is absolutely a MacGuffin. <clears throat> um, and, like, so many MacGuffins in these fantasy stories, it's, like... It, it also reminds me of a Horcrux or, like, the Philosopher's Stone or, like, any one of these, like, MacGuffins that serves the purpose of being the uh, physical manifestation of a character's lifeblood, and without it, they are nothing. Now, I don't know what the the, the object itself is, why it's a dagger, uh, if not to be used as a weapon, but... Um, Before I remembered that Oh yeah there's a Mortis dagger That I remember Ross has mentioned before She leads him to the altar of Mortis And she's like and here's the blade That'll do the job or whatever And I'm like oh my god We're doing the magic sword thing again We've done the Graflex And all of its uh, All of its uh, Excalibur Kind of uh, Historical ties And then of course there's the Darksaber Which is featured very prominently right now in Mando We're doing like another sword That like can beat gods and stuff, and yes we are, except I remembered that I did know that already. And then I remembered, I'm all over the place right now, but then I remembered that dagger I'm... in Rise of Skywalker, which I think for a brief second we thought might have relations to the Mortis dagger, and it ended up being the stupidest thing in the sequel trilogy. Yes, and, and that
0: was the big disappointment, because it was one thing that it could have been uh, a deep, because like, that's the thing, it, you had to explain it anyway. Mm-hmm. And you explained it with a much stupider explanation oh, yeah. than what could have made a lot of sense. And so it was just it made a lingering concept that they decided to, to repurpose in this way. And it didn't work at all in Rise of Skywalker. But the Mortis dagger is and it continues to play to play a role in the next episode. But it, it, it serves a, a, a large purpose here, too. Uh, by removing the daughter from the equation, being right. able to truly snuff out the light in this situation, uh, and you're right, gives them a the bit of the edge because between the two of them, it's um, it's you have two people who are equal in a in a knife fight, but you give one of them a gun, it's no longer really a, a fair situation, and that's kind of what what the Mortis Dagger is. It uh, it doesn't have the the playing field level, but it also has the ability to to snuff out anyone. And that's what I thought it made the perfect sense of if they're bringing back Palpatine, how do you snuff out the unkillable? Well, here's a, here's an, a weapon to do that.
1: Exactly. And so uh, what I'm not clear on is what at what point the brother went off his rocker. It must relate in some way to Anakin. Anakin arrives and they're like, hey, he's the chosen one. He's exactly who I need to have enough power here. Um, but it doesn't appear that the brother has gained some kind of new power Uh, by virtue of Anakin's arrival. He's not like ceding power from Anakin's presence. So why now has the brother decided to just like completely go nuts? And why didn't he try and kill his father sooner?
0: For all, uh, for every reason under the sun, my favorite line from the episode uh, is, I think the answer, and that would be, Mm -hmm. he's just so selfish and Mm -hmm. was taking too long to die. So I decided to move things along. (laughs) And I think that's it's hilarious, first of all, it is. But that's the answer. It's the son is selfish Uh, and the daughter describes that earlier. Uh, My nature is to do what is selfless, but my brothers will always be to do what is selfish. And that is George Lucas's definition of light side and the dark side. That's right. He has said that before. And so that's the daughter like describing it there and the son basically saying he's so selfish putting the blame because personally he selfishly wants power and control he is the manifestation of the dark side so that is all he can want it's just power and control is all he's ever wanted and he's impatient which is something that uh, yoda is always telling luke is uh, it's a red uh, flag yeah, it's it's a red flag something yeah. to avoid and not the Jedi way. And so he is everything. He had he's lo- he's filled with fear. Mm-hmm. And and as you can see at the end when he killed his uh, when he kills his sister, uh and anger and he has every dark side emotion cranked up to like 300. Uh and so that's why he's in this position of he's also so selfish and he's impatient. So but he and he's a god and he's just decided that he wants his revolution just like in Christianity how the devil did.
1: Why does he run away the way he does when he accidentally kills his sister, who is also his enemy? She wasn't his target, but she is uh, adverse to him. So why does he like pout and then zoom off? Because he still loves his sister. Okay. It's it's this, it's still a weird. It, he doesn't he doesn't mean to do
0: that. They were just dueling,
1: though. It's not clear to me that they that they're in that they love each other.
0: No, it's not. Uh, but it's I think it's more of a they're fighting like siblings. Mm. Uh, and he even kind of has a line like, well, then let's fu- let's fight sort of. It, it it implies to me that they've fought a lot over yeah. the years and that this is such a common occurrence. But to have it go this far where she dies, that's not what he wanted. That's not that was not his intention. Uh, and so he wanted to kill his father and take control from there. And, and it comes down to the same way that uh, Anakin has resentment towards different people and doesn't want to kill certain people but then is able to quickly flick a switch because it's all for Padme and so there's no rationale behind uh, why he does these things either too and there's a lot more coming in the next episode that you can see truly how chaotic the son is.
1: I suppose uh, just given his nature even without the intent to kill his sister um, it's kind of like him to force her to fight back like that's not mm-hmm. something that she wants to do, given that she's I don't know if she's uh, a pacifist per se, but like clearly she's the less violent of the two of them. And and so yeah. he's he's putting her in this position with the power that he craves uh, where she's forced to then fight back at him, which is uh, uh, conflicting with with her values. And so I guess that that it's just kind of a power move on his part.
0: Oh, absolutely. The whole thing is is this uh, this episode is his power move. This is the the Empire Strikes Back in the oh. situation. Uh the first the first one tidied up really nicely. It wrapped up uh with a fairly positive seeming ending, uh, where the the chosenish one of the galaxy saves the day. And but, oh one, no. There's more. This one, yeah, and this one the bad guy wins. And uh That's true. but the, the good guys uh Somehow, mostly get away and all in one piece-ish.
1: Do you think that's deliberate? Because like, that's yes. obviously like broad formatically, but you think that that's chosen if we're going to do a trilogy of episodes that has to flow similarly to the original Star Wars? Yes,
0: I-, I think that that was a choice in the sense that this is also a three-episode arc as opposed to a four-episode arc or yeah. a two-episode arc. I think that it provides that same... And George was so heavily involved that that also doesn't surprise me if he had wanted it to be a three episode arc. Uh, I have to I've seen a, a lot of the behind the scenes on, on the Mortis arc, but there are still some more out there. I'd like to see. I'm sure there's some little tidbits I'd be eager to hear about. But do you have any uh, favorite lines or, or moments that you wanted to kind of highlight when I go through some of those? Uh,
1: some of my favorite things. I, I, I didn't find that a lot of the quotes were like really, really good, um, but but good within the story, I guess. Yeah. Um, the chains, the chains are the easy part. It's what goes uh on here. It's what, go- it's what goes on here that's hard. And he's this is the little gnome inside the prison cell. Yeah. And he points at Ahsoka's head, and so he's he's already playing mind games. Um, and now th- and now it's the student. I will kill the master, which is what Ahsoka says to Anakin when she's about to fight him. <laughs> it's like I don't I don't have that written down because it's one of my favorite lines. I think it's like way too on the nose. Another oh, it is.
0: But Anakin's response is great. Is you're getting your he- you're getting ahead of yourself, aren't you, Snips?
1: Yeah, Snips. What does that mean? Where I'm not aware of this.
0: So that comes from uh, the Clone Wars movie, which is her introduction. Yeah, uh, and it was uh, wildly hated uh, as a nickname. It's because she's snippy and she's got attitude, and he doesn't like her. Yeah, that's but dumb. it is dumb, but it's stuck. And so, to a degree, there is S- Snips is okay. Uh, there are. She calls him Sky Guy at one point, and that is the worst thing. That <laughs> that 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 that, that cost like two extra years of Ahsoka people hating Ahsoka when she call, after him calling him Sky Guy. Well,
1: yeah, and like I know that Ahsoka has uh, an origin of being generally unliked because she wasn't oh, yeah. written as well until much later. But I've only ever experienced good Ahsoka. Like I've, you've only ever shown me Ahsoka where she's been a badass, and so I've been a huge fan of her character. But honestly, in this episode. I found her pretty cringe as, as dark Ahsoka. I was like, she's like a pouting teenager. I just don't really like the lines. I I find her kind of cringy in this one.
0: I think she's very Harley Quinn-esque. I think she, and she's, I think it's executed well. Uh, And I think that's kind of probably what they're going for. Yeah. Uh, But I, I I agree that you can, you can not like it. I'm okay with it because it's so clearly uh, cast under a spell and she's crazy seeming. Uh, But I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it because it is so clearly under the dark side. And he's also like, it, it's puppet mastery with him standing above yes. uh, and basically just watching and, and taking part in the fight without directly taking part in the fight.
1: Another, uh, um, another line that I thought could have used some workshopping is when the brother is about to try and assassinate his father for the second time. And uh, he says, the Jedi brought me the dagger. And you have brought me yourself. (laughs) And now finally you will die. (laughs) I I like that line. You have brought me yourself does not work for me.
0: (laughs) Well, I think think that the point of that is to show that both points were part of his plan. Mm -hmm. That he intended to create this particular chain of events that would result in the dagger and the father being brought to him on his turf, on his terms. And so I, I, see it as being kind of that kind of machination sort of way, but I can see that it's also, it is a little cheesy. Uh, there are some other really good lines from the sun that I kind of wanted to highlight. Uh, it's true, uh, what they say, you are the chosen one, join me and together we can change the balance of the universe, my friend, mm. um, and how simple you make it, uh, light and dark, like there's one without the other. Um, you look frail father,
1: yeah. sister just going back have, to the I'm to the surprised. other one how simply you make it uh the light and the dark there is a real fixation in this trilogy i guess on the dichotomy between good and bad like they're they're really mm. g- like Going the extra mile to be like, hey, you got to you got to get over these like old antiquated binary uh, views of the force. And like, obviously, that's literally what our characters are learning. I don't know if Star Wars in general has gotten away from that, although I think Kylo Ren is a good example of how we've gotten away from the binary. Um, mm-hmm. On the other hand, he's also has two different names. So maybe not so much. Yeah, um, Fair enough. Uh but that that appears so far in the first two episodes to be the main thesis of of mortis anyway it's it's all bigger than than your little human pea brain can oh yeah sort out. that is
0: yeah that is absolutely the case and I think a lot of that would have come to fruition in George Lucas's sequel trilogy um that's or at least the, the way he's hinted that they would go into the the true depths of and, and the microbiology of the force. And there's little bits of that, that you can kind of pick up here with the way. But it's also shrouded in mysticism, which is nice. But another one I wanted to point out was uh, and this is something that uh, Sam Whitworth has talked about in interviews, which is great. Um, when you hear the line sister, what a pleasant surprise. Hmm. Uh, he says sister the exact way Vader says it.
1: Yeah, sister. Kind of his sister. Interesting.
0: And so um, my friend, he yeah. says, like the way that Palpatine says to Vader. Yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, where are some of the what are some of the other ones?
1: Well, he actually has Palpatine's voice at one point, which is one of my yeah. trivia questions. Like they they well, actually now father. In, yeah. You will die. Yes. Right. Uh, he says, "You will so, die." The same way. Okay.
0: And but the point of that is the dark side. He is the manifestation of the dark side. And if you consider the dark side, almost like this, like virus, which is a way of kind of viewing it or a way in which you're being taken over by something, everybody and the way it just decays the vocal cords of someone like Palpatine and the way you just, you become like the more dark you become, you become this weirder like mutated version of yourself. You're like a dark mutated version. Um, And the goal with Sam, what we're here was to try and have all of those characters be feeding into this one character, have it so that all of those characters become more like this character as. And so it was it was almost like it was reverse engineering this character as if this character were the inspiration for the way that they speak, as if they're drawing on the dark side and as the voice of Maul and Palpatine, uh, it also helps to have that guy be the guy who's doing the voice of the sun, but he of course uses a ton of Vader homages, uh, but even some Anakin homages as well, like his no, and he does another one. Um, I forget what it was, but there's, um, oh, I, um, I, hate, I I hate I hate you. Um, mm. Like another Anakin like so like these drawing on these real dark side moments the moments when Anakin's just tapping into the darks like I hate you and so it's like even Anakin goes like switching into like Vader and like the back and forth like when he hasn't like fully cemented himself yet right but all the most dark sidey things that have occurred uh, he is trying to bring out in the way that the Sun speaks,
1: and those bits of dialogue all—I'll have a very memorable and specific timbre to to the way they mm. sound, and so that when you hear them again, it's almost like a memory hook, and you're like, oh, okay, so that's the character of the Force talking in the greater Star Wars story, and, and also exactly you, like further to that, and you kind of just uh, uh, made me think of this when you mentioned Darth Maul. It's interesting, isn't it, that we have this idea that the dark side of the force has this ability to very quickly deteriorate the body in which it lives. Mm. Um, We don't know if that happens in all cases, but when you think about the most well-known Sith Lords, we have Emperor Palpatine, who obviously is like the perfect example of that. His whole body has just been decayed by how much evil he has within him. and. Mm -hmm. Anakin it happened to him differently it happened to him all at once in an accident that was the result of his evil consuming him and so that's like a metaphor but also he he's remains powerful with the assistance of the suit that he's wearing but he also is so weak within that suit Um, and he's
0: also in his mid-40s when he dies and looks in his late 50s
1: exactly perfect uh Count Dooku He is an old man, and he is agile and one of the great fencers of the galaxy, but he doesn't get super evil until he's old, so he hasn't had the time to decay yet. Darth Maul, presumably still a pretty young guy, and I know there's a whole Clone Wars slash Rebels arc about his body being devoured by his evilness, too, Um, but... His his body is a whole can of worms.
0: We're gonna watch those episodes and you're yeah, it's a very interesting So yes, you're but but that's that's my point being further cemented
1: That's my point But when we see him in the movie He's just like incredibly athletic because he's probably still like a pretty young guy and he was hired because he was a young gun I don't know if we have a canonical example of someone who has been that evil for a very long time and didn't lose something physically in the process
0: colin i love that you just said that and i i don't want to take uh the detour now uh just because i will may as well talk about them together uh but that is the thesis of something i want to talk about in a little bit great uh and so that is uh, a great point to bring up just in in in, that is the truth with the dark side in particular um you're going to be powerful but it like it just destroys the body and the way that they want to cling to the body forever but they're destroying it at the same time it creates this like oxymoron of existence and then you look at what palpatine does with the way he's trying to to cling to life and the way that the bodies are not able to really hold him um it's it's incredibly uh metaphorical uh, the the physical representation uh, also in line with the way that the dark side consumes you and your decision making and the way that it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and you're going to see that with the next episode of the mortis arc Two uh, a Decision-making and uh, how that can spiral out of control That's really a big theme in the next episode too
1: Also, the more you think about like the mangling of evil bodies in Star Wars the more the Transcendence of a Jedi death becomes a more beautiful thing I mean all Jedi Mm -hmm. deaths But like when we think about Yoda or Obi-Wan or Luke and the way that they or Leia the way that they pass away in such a great Peace and and like in like there's there's a great mystical wonder And uh, like a reallocation of their spirit in that the moment is beautiful. It's like so the opposite of getting your legs cut off or or like having your your throat crushed by fire. Like it's like it's I think that's really very good. We were talking last week about uh, about George's ex-wife having Mm. comments to make about uh, the way uh, Jedi's die. And like the more I think about it, the more I think that's right anyway we're kind of we're kind of uh, off track here I don't really have a whole lot more thoughts on this episode because the story was like very straightforward I really like when the brother and sister uh transform into their like uh beast mode and and they like I really I think that's cool I was it's, surprised- it's interesting Go ahead. So I was gonna
0: say because uh, my favorite podcast, I've referenced them before, Force Center, uh, which has does Clone Wars arcs from time to time, and it just coincidentally, I didn't, I didn't quite realize it. Uh, released, uh, um, they did the an episode on the full Mortis arc, the just the other day after after we had done ours, mm. uh, and they specified them as a griffin and a gargoyle, and I yeah. think that is probably accurately what they are. I'm yep. assuming that's also been sourced and probably what Dave Filoni called them, but yeah, a griffin and a gargoyle is 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 what I would say they are.
1: Yeah, definitely. I w- I was thinking griffin as well. Um, I like I like Anakin in this episode a whole lot like I really like the mm. choice to make Anakin nothing but a good guy like he he really isn't even yeah he has the dream where he's like tormented and stuff but like that's just the the taunting of this evil guy this imp who's hanging around him um, Anakin only makes the right call he like only does right by Ahsoka in this, in this episode he just gets to be like good guy hero man. Uh, And then the other great moment uh, is when Ahsoka is revived and the music, like the classic Star Wars music, comes through. That's fantastic. Yeah, Yeah, it's
0: a really epic moment to get that actual life transfer. The fact that it's done through Anakin and the father, uh, but because the Force is so powerful there. uh, But the daughter also. And this is an interesting part that really hasn't been capitalized yet on in Star Wars. Mm. And so that's why I have no problem sharing it in full now. It doesn't break. It's not... Anything that's going to come up in the next episode, surprise, surprise. But uh, the daughter's life force being transferred into Ahsoka, that's a special kind of life force.
1: Yeah. That,
0: that is not just your typical life. And so Ahsoka is extra special. Uh, and in terms of also her decision making being consistently right. And also remember the owl that I talk about, which is a, a conborn Star Wars morai. Yeah. So there, it's not. It doesn't actually appear in this arc, but uh, there's imagery, uh, and it's shown in Rebels as well. And uh, Morai is the daughter's companion, okay? And because the daughter dies, Morai f- finds Ahsoka and follows Ahsoka from Mortis.
1: That's really uh, cool. And I guess I didn't even connect that this would mean that her force capabilities would be all the more strong and pure at this point and it, that maybe that helps to guide her towards we don't know, towards yeah. a more uh, a more enlightened view about uh, virtue and and being and being a, a force wielder too like like we we know of course that she like goes on to have this this complicated uh relationship with the the Jedi uh institution yep. uh and so yeah maybe this gives her a, a godliness that kind of puts her above the the lower well, race
0: she has kind of uh, she will she has another moment that is another touch with death later on uh, in her life that is also connected with Mortis and the world between worlds and that imagery is also connected with the Ahsoka TV show's logo mm. uh, and so that leads me to believe that she be she does become this kind of like Ahsoka the white similar to the way Gandalf is right and so will she become. Uh, the caretaker, uh, will she, will she become the mother of Mortis okay. one day?
1: Yeah, maybe. Like,
0: will she, will she become mother nature? You could almost say, uh, and will she go back to be the guardian and the balancer, uh, is her for, forced journey destined to return to the, the, the origin of her life's source,
1: I'm sorry to tell you I don't really have any trivia because I found trivia really difficult and we've already kind of gone through a couple of the things that I thought would be good trivia questions like whose iconic voice is heard when the brother is first uh, making his appeal to Anakin which of course it's Palpatine you can hear Palpatine Mm -hmm. like they use his voice and maybe like maybe Ian McDermott like maybe they pulled it straight from the movie.
0: Uh, maybe I, I don't i don't I don't know particularly if they did, but they've done that before, and they will do that again,
1: <laughs> also, you said, um you already said this, but what does the daughter say is the key innate distinction between her and her brother? Selfishness and selflessness? That's right., uh, I don't think we touched on this. What characterization of Anakin is made by Obi-wan in both this episode and also Revenge of the Sith? oh, um. It's like one of those lines where they like put it in this episode clearly because it's like a thing Obi-Wan has said about Anakin before. I'm not pulling it. What is it? Always on the move. Always on the move. Oh, yeah, let Always on. on the move. Okay, do you that have was any, any, I any any yeah. trivia for me that I actually might get?
0: Yeah, actually, they're uh, all gettable. <clears throat> what color eyes does the father have?
1: Oh, uh, green?
0: They're, they're Yeah, they're piercing. Yeah. Uh, the son asked the daughter if she can feel the anger, the hate, and the what while the Ahsoka is fighting Anakin and Obi Wan.
1: The anger, the anger, the hate, and the hopelessness, fear, the fury. Oh, the fury! Okay, anger, hate, and fury are kind of all the same thing, but fine. It,
0: true, but it just—it felt—it's it, not a word that is often used. Whereas anger and hate are such common dark side words, and yeah. fury certainly is as well. But it just—it stood out as being. Uh, One that's like, oh, that hasn't been used. And also could be a good Star Wars word, like Fury of the something for a movie down the line. I think that could really work.
1: I guess hopelessness. Fury of the force, even. I guessed hopelessness because I want to go back to the fortune cookie, which is he who surrenders hope surrenders Mm. life. And I'm not really sure how that plays into this episode.
0: I think this is maybe a little bit on Anakin. Yeah, uh, I think this is. Oh, what does Anakin actually say? He does say it. Um, yes, there is. There's always hope. Uh, he says it to the father at the end about uh, Ahsoka, and I think it's a little bit about Anakin. Anakin surrenders the. Well, he, he gives up on hope in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, and turns to the dark side for answers before, like just trusting in the Force and seeing what will happen with Padme. Uh, And seeing what will result in her death and having hope and being able to change it in the right way and not giving in to Mace Windu being like, oh, well, Mace is going to kill him, but he kind of is like the only one who can help me, even though I know it's wrong. He, he, he throws away hope later on in exchange for the right answer. I see, or, sorry, the, the easy answer.
1: I see what you're saying. I just don't see how it's pertinent to this episode. And like he who surrenders hope, nobody really surrenders hope in this episode. The only person who dies is not a he, it's a she. And she did not surrender hope. Like she did it in this like act of hopefulness. In fact, this like optimistic um i'm not saying the yeah i agree the fortune movie is
0: not super on par but it is i would say it's definitely referring to anakin definitely okay um all of all of these even if they're not um directly referring to anakin every i believe every conscious decision made in this entire arc is about anakin um even if it's using ahsoka or obi-wan in doing so um I just in, in in the way that you can kind of tell that the the goals that they've had or at least the goals that um uh, of really fleshing out the turn that anakin has uh you're, just, you're especially going to get that a lot more in part three so i'm excited about that
1: do you have another uh, the rock trivia yeah
0: oh yeah so we'll do the will do the the last trivia uh how many flames surround the altar of mortis oh god i don't know seven not nah, close eight okay that's a total guess yeah, well, it's one of those ones where you can guess, so why not? Uh, the The dagger's formation itself was extremely cool, the way that it just kind of forms in Obi-Wan's hand, almost yeah. as if it's ignited by being around someone who's pure in the Force or someone who's just in the, who has the Force. I'm not sure what it is, but it's, uh, it's a cool kind of sword in the stone moment of him having that... Ar- go out
1: I love Obi-Wan for obvious reasons but he's so often like a bystander to these like really extraordinary uh, events happening and so it's just so funny to consider that like old Ben Kenobi was this guy and he was on Mortis and he had the whole thing with the sword and like he saw he met these gods and stuff it's just so funny if like you think about it writ large because that's just like an old man in a cave and I know we're about to see a whole show about that old man in a cave and how the transition happened between those two Guys, the warrior to the to the hermit well, but and, like it's and i can say his life nine times is that yeah that's right okay uh,
0: business on catered ammonia
1: didn't Did, count didn't count that's right no i know I, obviously he's a warrior and a hero and he's like central and important it's, it's not fair to call him a bystander but like i i just picture old ben kenobi and i'm like that guy's never hung out with gods <laughs> <laughs> that guy was not mortis Well, he's talking to a force ghost Qui-Gon probably
0: just up until when Luke arrives or actually in a certain point of view. uh, They do have a story where Luke will like he talks to Qui-Gon while Luke is off uh, discovering that his aunt and uncle are burnt alive.
1: (laughs) How? Oh, okay, that's cool. How interesting would it be if they could find a way to pull a rogue one? in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show and like age him all the way up towards the end of that series and like line it up with a new hope. I know it would be a little tough to swallow because he doesn't look exactly like like Alec Guinness, but like that could be fascinating. It
0: could be pretty cool. I don't I don't want it, I don't need it if I see it and it's just like a little flashes like like the last scene is like it just it it does a slow fade to black and a slow fade out so that you know time has passed and that way you see just like him with his hood on and there's some sort of like hunch that he gets through the force and then you go and you're able to see that it's like and then he's just walking up a hill and he does his like (laughs) does this big ridiculous crate dragon call and then um
1: yeah, and that's the end of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's the post. That's the post credit scene. It ends on a giant
0: great dragon call.
1: I didn't mean it like quite so literally as that, but like if they if they could imply that this is where we are now, the way Rogue One yeah. is, that would be cool. No, to me. It,
0: it. I don't. I don't want it or need it, but I'm sure they would do it right, and I'm sure I would absolutely love it for sure.
1: Any and other thoughts about about this favorite. this episode? which was titled The Altar of Mortis. Uh, this is episode 3.16 of The Clone Wars. I liked it. I think I kind of liked the last one more. Yeah, no, yeah. that's totally fair. Uh, I think you will, uh, I think they're all
0: appreciated better as a collective. And so I think you'll view each of them in a different light slightly after you've seen them all. Uh, but I would probably tend to agree. I probably think I prefer um, Overlords more than uh, the than Altar of Mortis. I think Overlords is the name of the first one. Um, And let me see if there's any other kind of quotes. Uh, Move, let me fly. It was a giant tower. Of course, I saw it. That was a good one. Yeah. Um,
1: I I liked particularly when um, the daughter says, uh, don't hate him, father. I'm paraphrasing, but don't hate him, father. It's in his nature. And I think that this is important because like. Obviously, the father has a darkness in him that the daughter does not have. And it's, so mm. it's almost like she knows that and she needs to remind him not to give in to that because he is the balance. And so mm-hmm. if he if he is careless with the balance, then he could be consumed by hatred just like her brother was. And so it's like she's keeping him in check there. I think that's good. Yeah,
0: he is like the, it's the devil and the angel on his ears. Yeah. Uh, and the son is constantly, I'm sure... After all this time, he's become so impatient because I'm sure he's asked his father to do ridiculously terrible things. Oh, yeah. And like, oh, let's uh, let's leave the planet and, you know, let's just destroy some other ones. (laughs) It wouldn't surprise me if that was like his little toddler days.
1: Yeah, that'll weigh on your conscience.
0: The terrible two billions are always (laughs) a little bit tough, but. um, The little tosses of. Lightning, like the little lightning bursts, they were really cool between the like, kind of the battle that the sun was tossing at the the daughter and the rock elevators in in the altar of Morris itself was extremely cool. Uh, but other than that, uh, nothing really else to say on this episode. I'm excited to have the last episode. Oh, one other thing I did want to mention. Uh, it was uh, the way Ahsoka was swinging her lightsaber uh, at Anakin at the start of their fight.
1: Yeah. What it was this? It was, it was wild.
0: So so Luke in Return of the Jedi. Oh,
1: is that what they were and doing? Okay. I think
0: I think so because it's also it's Anakin. This is Anakin get like, later on. He's going to have the other younger person that he cares for a great deal. Swing at him like with wild like hatred for him. Uh, and it's it's that's what all of this is. It's foreshadowing for what he is to experience the decisions that he will make and the the choices uh, the wrong choices he will make that are yet to come and so this is just another I I never noticed before it was the first time I ever noticed that it was so aggressive and unlike the way Ahsoka fights Ahsoka is a much more skilled Saber user and this was so
1: just angry Luke that's so interesting. Like I, 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 didn't realize that that was the connection to be drawn. Although they're just so smart with their with their subtleties and the brushstrokes. Um, I did notice that the that her uh, method of fighting was unusual. Uh, I just yeah. kind of thought it was like like n- nutty <laughs> and chaotic. Um, I, I didn't draw the connection, but that's that's very smart and very cool. It makes it worth it.
0: But it's also the sun controlling her, mm-hmm. and the sun is the dark side and when luke hears about uh vader potentially turning his sister him turning him tapping into the dark side yeah. and so does that make sense makes perfect sense it does. so it's these are just such brilliant episodes and that's why i've watched these ones in particular so many times because i get so much from them each time uh and it's just different layers they're like peeling an onion uh let's go into some news just a, sure. a ton of stuff in the news but uh there's a few things uh the book of boba fett uh it's gonna have a or not not book of boba fett but boba fett, Bo- there's gonna be a boba fett special on disney plus day in november okay to be talking about the the origins and legacy of the character my guess is it'll talk a lot about the action figure and about uh the 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 people who have played him, uh Django Fett and it's it's a hype piece for Book of Boba Fett.
1: That's cool though, because I think that there he's holds a very interesting place in popular culture where people are almost misremembering mm. what Boba Fett began as. Um and it's like this incredibly recognizable figure and an incredibly recognizable name. You don't have to be a Star Wars fan to like be pretty sure you've heard the name Boba Fett before. And yet yeah. like it took 40 years for the character actually to get good is to do anything yeah to do anything and so like this this is the right time for that kind of a expose so i think that's cool yeah
0: and well that's the thing if the character has done a lot of things in other mediums and and legends material uh but i think the one thing that and it's a little cheesy to say but the thing that boba fett has achieved the most with is the stories that he has starred in in people's imaginations and that's what has given us the mandalorian uh, because he was, I'm sure, John Favreau's favorite action figure. And that's why we have what we have now. And maybe the, that Yoda's head fell off and so it was extra small. And so he, he glued it to like a little bag and there's baby Yoda. And that's, that's the origin of it all.
1: Maybe, maybe that very specific hypothetical, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, also, Visions. Uh, I watched uh, seven of the nine episodes of Visions. Uh, okay. It was... Uh, interesting the last two the two i didn't get to were the ninth jedi and lop and ocho they were the longest two 20 and 22 minutes i just in the end i i didn't get to them and they were i didn't get to them because they were the longer ones and i just never got around to putting the longer one on uh but if i were to rate them out of 10 uh just based on kind of like my expectations going in uh the duel i'd give it an eight i was kind of impressed with that it was very cool artistically Uh, It was kind of what I was expecting a little bit from the series, uh, but I would be interested in seeing a little bit more, maybe. Uh, Tatooine uh, Rhapsody, I would give a three.
1: Oh, okay. Uh, I didn't have high expectations for something called Tatooine Rhapsody, so that's not a great shocker.
0: Yeah, like The Duel is uh about uh, a ronin samurai who comes into a village and uh helps fight off some some bandits and raiders. Tatooine Rhapsody is about uh a Jedi who after Order 66 uh forms a band and um that happens cool. and, and uh to save his friend's life he says we're going to be the best band in the world. Actually in the universe, sorry. Uh and Jabba you should sponsor us as opposed to killing one of us.
1: Okay. Uh, All right.
0: And it, so it was not good. Um the the twins, uh which was had some cool things visually, uh, and it had a really cool Star Destroyer that was uh, like attack two Star Destroyers attached together. Uh it was kind of a just a cool concept. called a Gemini class Star Destroyer because it was like twins and so that made sense. Uh but it was it was a bunch of Star Wars imagery done worse. Mm. Uh, It was a bunch of Star Wars concepts done in an over the top way. Uh, I listened to the English versions of them. I know it's probably sacrilegious to some people, but uh, Alison Brie gave, I think, the worst voice acting performance I've ever heard in my entire life. Uh, It was so unbelievably over the top. Terrible. It was one of the worst things I've ever it it was it was hard to watch how a bad it was.
1: Scathing review, my goodness! It was
0: terrible. Uh, not necessarily everything about the entire uh, like short, but her performance was uh, was atrocious, okay. um, and it, it made it hard to watch the rest of it. Uh, but the rest of it wasn't great either. You I give it like have, four and a half.
1: What I'm getting from this, honestly, and I haven't watched it, is just like we know that this is not canonical Star Wars, but it's kind of being given like the Star Wars stage while they're in the off season. And, Mm. and I also, I hesitate to use terms like fanfic, but it's almost like a high octane version of that. And that's kind of beautiful. Like what this does is shows Mm -hmm. you like, uh, all the different kinds of Star Wars creators that happened or rather creators that happened to be Star Wars fans. And so like, this is what happens when you give them free reign. You don't require them to be beholden to the strict, um, lucas bible and you just like let them like do what their imagination might do within some of the star wars uh mm. milieu and i actually i think that that's kind of a wonderful thing that we get to share those
0: i i do and uh the twins for example i thought was it's just it it pulled a bunch of stuff that has just been done it's like it, it had a holdo maneuver in it which was like kind of like the grand finale yeah and it, it was done way worse it was done with a like a lightsaber OK, like someone was standing on the roof of an X-Wing with a lightsaber and they just cut through the entire ship. And it's because the lightsaber became like a kilometer tall. And like, I know that that's <laughs> like yeah. like, and I know it's to make it extreme and that's like kind of OK. And it's 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 all an interpretation. That's totally fine. It just it was way too much suspension of disbelief. And it was trying to it just it took away a lot of the nuance of Star Wars. I felt in that one. Uh, the Village Bride uh, it had a couple interesting characters. I give it like a six point five, but it was just overall not that interesting. TTOB uh, one uh, was 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 ridiculously kiddish and mm. so that was that makes it really hard to judge it was it was one of the most childish star wars things i've ever seen and that's not like not like tr- trashing it. Like, i like i give it like a four out of ten i would never in a million years watch it again sort of thing but it was so clearly meant for an extremely young audience it was like a droid who gets a soul of a like like a like the soul through the force like which is kind of a cool concept uh but it was done very much like pinocchio like i want to be a real boy sort of thing but oh, i want to be yeah. a jedi right um and the animation style he also looked like astro boy it was just it was weird um but it was also clearly not for me it was okay. and so that's why that one's really not an easy one to, to judge because it was for such a young audience i felt uh and maybe it could be good for a really young audience sure um i didn't see um Lopinocho, as I mentioned, uh, and Akakiri was okay as well. It wasn't very interesting. Um, I give it maybe like a five and a half or a six. But uh Lop and Ocho has, has like has had okay reviews. The Ninth Jedi, which I haven't seen, has had the best reviews. Oh,
1: okay, that's exciting.
0: Um, and the Elder, which is one I have seen and I haven't mentioned, I would give about a 9.5 out of 10. Uh, wow. or maybe a nine point seven. It was exceptional. Wow. it was so fucking good. It was what I could have more than I ever could have hoped for it. The, the amount of story they fit into 16 minutes, mm. the character development. Uh, it was so bloody good. It starred David Harbour as the voice. So, of course, I knew you would you, you've been you've been drumming that uh, drum for a while that you wanted him in Star Wars. He's perfect. He, he kills it. He he plays a Qui-Gon-like Jedi in the sense of someone who is just a stoic Jedi of all Jedi. And it is an incredible story. Um, it's called The Elder. I really encourage you to watch it. I will uh, now. David Harbour. But the, the moral of it really comes down to what you said earlier, too, uh, about uh, age and, in particular, the way that the dark side decays your body. Ah. And so... I, I, w- I will just say that that is one thing that the, the story has so many layers like it, it doesn't have it's not packed with dialogue, but all the dialogue is extremely smart mm. and it has tons of layers and it is like the words feel like, oh, that's a, like a Qui-Gon quote that I could like you could dig 30 layers deep or it feels like it's been in Star Wars forever. Uh, or like, oh, that's something that you could, like, that feels like straight out of yoga, a Yoda uh, on Dagobah, and like some just really great dialogue. Uh, it was visually cool, uh, cool characters, not too many characters, but it really allowed you to develop alongside them. Uh, a couple twists and turns. Uh, I would just, I would love to see anything more from it, uh, or even just inspiration taken from it, uh, but I thought it was just a, an amazing a 16 minute piece of Star Wars. And that was just that's an, imp- an impressive feat to tell such a cool story with such a little amount of time. And so to to get nine stories and to get one, I liked this much is great. And apparently the ninth Jedi is seems to be universally considered the, the best one. And so maybe there'll be maybe there'll be two I really like. And, and the duel is good, too.
1: Is that the general consensus, though, about this David Harbour episodes? Like a lot of people are saying, yeah, this was better than I expected.
0: Uh, it seems most people seem to say that it, that it's good, but the Ninth Jedi seems to be the the highest rated one, and I think the Elder is probably the second highest rated one, the one that people are talking about, and maybe not quite as much, but are also saying they really liked. And I haven't seen the Ninth Jedi yet, but I've I rank the Elder at such a, uh, a such a high tier compared to everything else, Uh just because I, I I think it has so many layers compared to some of the other uh stories, and I just think it's really smart, and it felt like Star Wars, but it also felt different. And I I don't know anime well, but felt true to anime as well, which I think is cool.
1: Did you ever see Scott Pilgrim versus the World?
0: No, I didn't. But people I mean rave about that
1: movie. Yeah, you should definitely and see that. The movie. Comics as well. Y- yeah, I mean, you should just see the movie. Like the I guess the comic books like obviously have a very passionate following. But I bring it up because like I know that uh, Edgar Wright was. Briefly supposed to make Ant-Man And then it ended up being What's his name Who made all those excellent um, Mando episodes uh, What's the director's name? Oh, uh, Peyton Reed Peyton Reed And so like there is a uh, Like a hop, skip and a jump Of like the, of what it would take to get Edgar Wright To make something Star Warsy, y and, and I think it would, mm. probably would be started uh, With like an episode of, of The Mandalorian Or like one of those shows They bring him aboard And like feel him out A la Taika Waititi But like mm to have like a brief opportunity to see something, even if it's just like uh, abbreviated something star Warsy that's done in the style in particular of the Scott Pilgrim movie would be so cool because those comics and the movie, like the movie is really clearly, I mean it's all, it comes to the imagination of like a white guy from Toronto, but like it's clearly inspired or influenced by uh, anime and samurai stuff and manga and like, if we're already playing in that sandbox, I kind of think that like the humor and in the creative visuals of Scott Pilgrim lends itself to exciting storytelling within Star Wars. And so I think that's just now in this conversation becoming a thing I wanna see.
0: Cool, yeah, no, it's, it. there are so, and, and that's what's great about things like Mando as a perfect entry point sandbox is to be able to have all these creative people who can be like, hey, here's, here's Star Wars 101 so that we can ensure that your take on star Wars is aligned with overall star Wars. And uh, this way we can ensure we're going to get the best people like Deborah Chow. Oh, you Deborah Chow, you do two episodes. No, no, we're shipping you off. Mando. you're getting your own show where you can do everything and yeah. we'll, we can just check in on you periodically and, and be comfortable that way. And so I, and the more shows that they have now, who knows where he could even get his, Start could be on Ahsoka, for all we know.
1: Absolutely. Uh, anything else in the news? I saw today that uh, that um, the casting Andor show. <laughs> I always forget what it's called. The Andor is Andor. it It's called Andor. Uh, yeah. That they're promising a lot of familiar faces.
0: Yes, they're promising a lot of faces, just in general, but right. familiar faces. Uh, and uh, uh, casting. Here's a quote from Diego Luna: uh, "Audiences can be heard. We have to send a message. We want our stories out there." We want to see and feel represented. We want to connect with those characters and those stories we see in film and all platforms. We have a voice as audiences, we have power. We have to send the right message when you buy a movie ticket, when you click on various platforms, you're sending a message. And when you don't, you're also sending a message. So it's responsible, we can transform things and make sure we're represented uh, and more represented better on screen. Uh, And so he was just talking about kind of just how eager he is to be part of this project how it was a transformative experience for him as well uh and how he can't wait to share everything that he's been able to be a part of with people and so it's just good old diego luna glowing as he always does uh about the experiences that he's had being part of star wars which we love to see beautiful what a sweetheart yeah um also george lucas uh got a black series action figure uh it's him in stormtrooper gear and so it's nice for him to be honored uh, amongst uh, the black series star wars figures so now there's finally a george lucas action figure
1: how has that not happened sooner honestly you would
0: you would think he's in stormtrooper garb as opposed to a, a, a classic flannel uh but it,
1: it works yeah very cool is that all you got that's it that's pretty much it in the news. Okay, just a couple of birthdays. I actually missed one last week, and it's a shame because uh, Ashley Eckstein features in these episodes that we're talking about. So, a happy birthday to her uh, last Wednesday, September the 22nd. Uh, going forward, happy birthday on Thursday, September the 30th, to Jonathan Casden, And then Sunday, October 3rd, to Junis Suotamo, our current uh, Chewbacca. If you have any thoughts on on this, the, the second part uh, of the Mortis arcs trilogy, which is episode uh, 3.16 of the Clone Wars, we'd love to hear uh, any observations you might have. You can tweet us at recorder66 or email recorder66podcast at gmail.com. Any other Star Wars thoughts uh, as well. And if you want to be caught up to where we are by next week, I guess just watch all of the Mortis arc, which is episodes 3.15, 16, and 17. Uh Rate and review on your preferred podcast app. And if you're joining us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. And until we are together again,
0: may the force be with you.